So we're beginning a new series this weekend that we're calling Close Encounters. And in this series, we're going to revisit some of the everyday encounters that Jesus had with a variety of people. And my goal in this series over the next few weeks is for us to begin to discover and, and really truly understand what God is like. And the reason we're studying the life of Jesus is because if we can understand what Jesus is like, then we can understand what God the Father is like. And you, you got to understand this is a really, really important series for us because how you see God it's going to affect everything. It's going to impact everything you do in your life. For example, you know, none of us like to hang around mean and critical people. Does, does anybody do that? Anybody go out of their way to hang around mean and critical people? I don't. I mean, I got people in my life, I'm pretty sure they think it's their spiritual gift to be mean and critical to me. I got to tell you, I avoid them, you know. If I find out they're, they're in, the, in, the, in the lobby, I get under my desk. I hide in my bathroom. I, mean, I don't want to see people like that. So let me ask you a question. If that's your perspe- perception of Jesus, that he's mean and critical, why would you want to hang around him? Why would you want to hang around God if you think that whenever you're with him, if you're in a relationship with him, he's going to be mean and critical? I, I think you're like me. You would avoid him. Do, do you like to hang around people that every time you see them, you feel like they just want something from you? I mean, if that's your perception of God, then, then why would you want to hang around God? Why would you want to have a relationship with God? I mean, that's why we have family members, so they can always get something from us. You know what I'm saying? I mean, do you want to go to someone and say, I've really blown it? If you can assume ahead of time that when you tell them you've blown it, they're going to be judgmental and they're going to be condemning of you? Well, see, if you see God that way, then why in the world would you feel comfortable going to God and saying, I've blown it and asking forgiveness if you just assume he's going to be judgmental and he's going to condemn you? My point is, it's very important how you see God. In fact, I'm going to make a statement and, it, and it's going to offend some of you. That's a shock, isn't it? But it's going to offend some of you. And it's this. A lot of us don't worship God. We worship our concept of God. We worship who we think God is. A lot of us don't really pray to God. We pray to our concept of God. The reality is most of us have an inaccurate picture, an inaccurate concept of what, what God the Father is really like. I mean, let's be honest. How many of you, when you think about God, you have the idea that the Father, he's mean and harsh and angry and judgmental and cranky. But when you think about Jesus, he's kind of like the good cop, right? He's nice and kind and loving and compassionate. Let's just be honest. How many of us, we kind of think of the Father and the Son that way? Yeah, you're lying, but that's true. We, all, we think of him that way. You know, we think that the Father is all about rules. And he's just waiting to punish us when we break his rules. But Jesus, on the other hand, he's all about grace. He's all about love and mercy and forgiveness and second chances. In fact, a lot of us have the idea that if it wasn't, if it wasn't for Jesus restraining the Father, if it wasn't for Jesus holding the Father back, I mean, the Father would just open up a can of, you know, what on us and just wipe us out. We kind of have this picture that God is up in heaven saying, I oughta, and, God, and Jesus is saying, come on, Dad, back off. Let me take care of him. I'll deal with him, right? I want you to understand that's not what God is like. In fact, if you want to know what God is really like, it's pretty simple. All you have to do is look at Jesus. He is the exact 100% replica of God because he is God. Let me show you why I say that. John chapter 14, let me show you a couple of verses. Beginning in verse 6, Jesus is talking to the disciples. It says, Jesus answered this, a very familiar statement. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then he says this. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. In other words, Jesus says, he thinks like me. The Father acts like me. If you've seen me, you, you, you've seen him. 
And then verse 8, which I think is one of the funniest verses in the Bible. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. I mean, think about this. Jesus has been with these guys for three and a half years. He's raised the dead. They've seen it. They saw him when he walked on water. He was there when they fed the multitude. They've watched him heal the sick. And Philip has the audacity to say, Jesus, we, we think you are who you say you are. But if you could just make the Father appear. If you could just get the Father to materialize and maybe hang out in Starbucks with us for a couple of hours so we could, we could really see him and really get to know him, maybe, I'm telling you, Jesus, we're all in. I mean, we're ready to drink the Kool-Aid. If you could just help us see the Father, and Jesus says this in verse 9, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. If you've seen me, You've seen the Father. We think alike. We act alike. We're the same. I mean, Jesus couldn't make it any clearer. Even a Carolina grad could get this and understand this, right? He says, if you want to know what God is like, just look at me. And so as we look at Jesus in this series, what we're going to do is we're going to discover God. By the way, let me just give a little preface here. This is probably going to be the simplest series I've ever preached. And I know what some of you are thinking. Mike, how in the world could you possibly be any simpler? Well, just watch me. Okay, I'm going to, and I'm okay with being simple because that's the way Jesus kept it. You know, it's interesting, if you studied the teachings of Jesus, he was simple. Not simplistic, but he was simple. I mean, just think about it. He, he drew in the sand, he sat in a boat, he picked up a child, he pointed to a sower, he talked about a building falling over, he used parables and word pictures and humor, but he always kept it simple. So why would I go out of my way to complicate something that, that Jesus says I'm just going to keep it simple? So this week we're going to begin our series uh, by looking at a very familiar story. In fact, if you grew up as a child in church or you went to Sunday school, you're going to be familiar with this story. It's known as the widow's offering. Maybe you recognize it as the widow's might. And you're thinking, why would Jesus tell the story of a, of a woman and her little bug? <laughs> you're in the right place this weekend. You need to be in church. So let's look at the story uh, of the widow's might. And if you have a Bible, Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 41, this is what it says. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put, and he watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. So what can we learn from this story uh, about Jesus and, and, and this widow? Let me just give you a few lessons that I get. First of all, we learn that God sees people that no one else sees. God sees people that no one else sees. God has a way and a tendency of seeing people that don't even show up on our radar. You notice in the story that Mark refers to this woman as being poor. And, and, and the word that Mark uses for poor is a word that was used in the first century to talk about the working poor. It was a person who lived day to day. We would say maybe today that they lived hand to mouth. It means extreme poverty. It means that they were destitute. In other words, the woman that we're reading about in Mark chapter 12, she is miserably poor. And because of her poverty, because of her status in life, my guess is that this is a woman nobody even saw. This is a woman no one ever noticed. I wonder how many times she showed up for church on the weekends and no one ever saw her. I wonder how many times she showed up and walked into the temple on the Sabbath and no one ever spoke to her. 
By the way, let me just say this. Maybe that's how you feel when you show up here on the weekend. And I get that. I mean, it's a little bit intimidating around here. You got a lot of people. You got a lot of kids. You got shuttles. You got people directing traffic. As I said, it's kind of like six flags over Jesus around here. And, and you feel like, man, I'm there. Nobody really knows I'm there. A couple of weeks ago, in fact, it was at the Saturday services. I was standing right behind the soundboard. And uh, I was doing what I typically do when I first get here at the services. I began to look around to see who's here and who's not here. Trust me, I know it when you're not here. You don't think I know, but I know. My wife will tell you, I know when you're not here. But I'm specifically looking for my staff and my elders because I'm pretty sure none of them really ever go to church. So I'm looking around to see if I see any of them, okay? But as I'm looking around, I I notice a woman. And I know the woman because I've had some conversations with her. And I know that this woman has just discovered that her husband's been having an affair. And I could just read her body language. Although she's surrounded by people, I know this is what she was feeling. She's like, I'm all alone. Nobody here knows what I'm going through. Nobody understands what I'm going through. I saw a family that was worshiping together. And the mom, the kids, they were singing, they were looking up. The dad's head was down. His shoulders were slumped as if he was, if he was carrying the weight of the world on his shoulders. And I thought, I bet he thinks he's all alone. There's nobody here who can carry that weight with him. I saw one of our college kids and I don't know what was going on, but you could just see that they were carrying some kind of burden, maybe, maybe some kind of guilt. And I thought, these are the people that slip into this place every weekend. And many times we're so busy, our own world's so, going so rapidly, we don't even take time to notice. And so the people come in and they leave and they felt that no one really cared. No one really saw them. They felt totally alone. I want you to know something. If you feel that way, one, we want to apologize. But two, Trust me, God knows. God sees you. God cares about what's going on in your life. This woman in our story, she is destitute. She is the poorest of the poor, but Jesus sees her. Let me just show you a few verses to describe you how God feels about people that we tend not to see. Here's one, Psalm 68, verse 5. A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. Think about that. Here's one, Exodus 22. Do not take advantage of the widows or the fatherless. In other words, don't take advantage of orphans. If you do and they cry out to me, I will certainly hear their cry. My anger will be aroused and I will put you in time out. That's not what God says. My anger will be aroused and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives will become widows and your children will become fatherless. And See, God doesn't ignore it when we mistreat those who are vulnerable they're very important to god here's one james chapter 1 verse 27 religion and we've made that word a bad word but in this context it's actually a good word it means service to god service to god that god our father accepts as pure and faultless as this to look after orphans and widows in their distress let me tell you something maybe you don't know about god god has always been for the underdog Did you know that? He's always been for the, just read the Gospels. You see it in the life of Jesus. Jesus always noticed people that others didn't notice. Jesus always had time for people that others didn't have time for. 
In fact, my favorite scenes in the Bible are when Jesus would move in close to a solitary human being and he would love them with a supernatural love or he would grace them with an unexpected gift. Maybe it was the gift of forgiveness. Maybe it was a second, third, fourth, fifth chance at life. Maybe Jesus would move into someone's loneliness and he would put purpose in their step and all of a sudden they would have a reason to live. It's those stories that begin with an unsuspecting man or an unsuspected woman going about their everyday lifestyle and all of a sudden they would have an encounter with the power of God through Jesus Christ and they would walk away from that encounter and their lives would be changed forever. For me, that is Jesus at his very, very best. That is God at his very, very best is when a human life is changed. You know why? God can do that because he sees people that other people don't see and he cares for people that other people don't care about. But understand, now we, the church, (laughs) We represent the Father on this earth. We represent Jesus on this earth. And as we learned in our last series, now we are to follow his example. And that means that if there's anybody that should have time for people that others don't have time for, if there's anybody that ought to see other people that other people don't see, it ought to be the church. It ought to be those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ. A few weeks ago, we talked about how we wanted to raise the awareness of single moms and the life and the struggles that they have. And so many of you have reached out. So many of you responded, and we have a lot of single moms. We didn't have enough single moms to go around. And I've heard some incredible stories. Laura told me one of our staff, who was a single mom, talked about how a married couple took her car and had it detailed. And she said, I haven't had my car detailed forever. There was another one. A family reached, a small group reached out. Uh, to a single mom, and they provided a meal for her, and she thanked them, and she said, by the way, keep me in your prayers, and if you hear of anybody that has a car, I need a car, but it has to be under $4,000. If you find of anybody, let me know. And uh, so she wrote me this note. I'll pick up the story. She says, well, don't you know that the next email I got from the small group read like this? God appears to be moving in this situation. It seems one of our couples in our small group has a Toyota that they were looking to donate anyway, and they are more than willing to sign it over to you should you need it. Tuesday, I met with a couple, she writes, and they signed their car over to me. See, that's what it's supposed to be like. This weekend, we had hundreds of people show up for the yard sale. We made thousands of dollars because people are supposed, as followers of Jesus Christ, to care about orphans. In fact, I met one guy, and he says, man, my wife won't get out of bed early for anything, but she'll get up early for orphans. Let me tell you, that's the way it's supposed to be. As followers of Jesus Christ, we're supposed to see the poor. We're supposed to see the widows. We're supposed to see the single moms. We're supposed to have time for the orphans. We're the ones who are supposed to have time for the elderly. We should be the ones that are pulling and fighting for the underdog because God is for the underdog. God is all about seeing people that no one else sees, caring for people that no one else cares about. And that should be an encouragement if you're here this weekend. And you feel like you're all alone. Trust me, God sees and he cares and he has time for you. And do you know why I know that? Because we learned that from the life of Jesus. And Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We think the same. We act the same. We are the same. Here's the second thing I learned about God from this story. God sees actions that no one else sees. Look at verse 41. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put. By the way, the offerings, they were in the outer court of the temple. And as people would exit the temple, they would put their offerings in. Very similar to how we handle it here. We don't take an offering in our services because we don't want you to feel obligated to give. So we have boxes in the lobbies at all of our campuses. And as you exit or as you enter, you have an opportunity 
to give. Well, evidently, on this situation, Jesus decides to pull up a chair and sit beside the offering box and to watch people as they gave. By the way, let me just ask you this question. Would it make you nervous if you were walking in this weekend and you saw this? You know, you saw a scene like this? <laughs> Jesus, you're doing okay? Good, okay, okay, all right. Would that make you nervous if you walked out and that's what you saw, you know? Would you try to kind of sneak out a side door, maybe avoid contact, right? But it tells us in our story, Jesus, he sits down by the offering box and he sees the actions of this widow who has very, very little, but she gives a lot. And he sees the actions of those who have a lot, but they give very, very little. In fact, let me just explain to you how little these rich people gave. Look at verse 41. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and he watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Now remember, the, the New Testament originally was written in Greek. It's been translated to English for us. But this Greek word translated money, it, it's the Greek word caucus. C-H-A-L-K-O-S. Caucus. It literally means brass pennies. So keep that in mind. Brass pennies. Many rich people, verse 41, many rich people threw in large amounts. Now, on the surface, you're thinking, well, what's the problem? That looks great. The ri rich people are giving a lot. But you need to understand, and I know, I know just enough Greek to be dangerous. But this word many and large in the Greek are the exact same words. Exact same words. In fact, literally it could read, many people put in many. Many people put in many. Put in many what? They put in many brass pennies. So it appears, it maybe sounds because, hey, they make a lot of noise. It appears that they're generous. But they're not being generous, they're being greedy. Now, first of all, that shouldn't surprise us. I think a lot of us think, man, if I had a lot to give... I'd give it. I mean, when my ship comes in, I am going to be the most generous person in the world. That's probably not going to be true. Statistics show us over and over and over again that the more people have, the less they tend to give away. The more they have, the less generous they are. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people over the years about giving, especially about tithing. And they'll say, Mike, listen, it's easy when you make $50,000 a year to give $5,000. But it's ludicrous to think that if you make $500,000 a year, that you can actually give $50,000 away. That's just stupid. And I'm like, you're right, that is stupid. If you're making $500,000 a year, you ought to at least be giving $100,000 away. That's what I'm thinking, right? Because think about the logic here. If you're making $50,000 and you give away $5,000, it means you have to live on $45,000. If you're making a half million dollars a year and give away $100,000, you still get to live on $400,000. And if you can't live on $400,000, you're screwed up. Something's wrong with you. I mean, how illogical is that, right? So let me just say something here, just so you know. The people that make this place run financially, it's not the big shots. The people that make this place run financially, it's not the people who look like they're living the dream. In fact, it bums me out every time I see the list of what people give around here, you know? We have people living the dream. We have people living big, throwing in some brass pennies, some copper pennies, right? Now, if that upsets you that I know what people give, <laughs> you should be more concerned about the fact Jesus knows what you give, okay? God knows what you give because he sees your actions, right? Listen, if you don't give when you have a little bit, I can assure you, you won't give when you have a lot because it's going to be even harder. But in the story, these people who had much gave a little. But notice verse 42. A poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Now, this is what's interesting, and I didn't even know it to this week. 
This word here in the Greek for copper coins is the Greek word lepta. You get leaf from it. It means light. That's what it means. It means light. The, what she put in was the equivalent of an eighth, one-eighth of a brass penny. One-eighth of a brass penny. Now, she put in two, so if you know your math, she gave one-quarter of a brass penny. Penny. Now, remember during this time, the Jews were living under Roman rule. They, they were in servitude. There was extreme poverty. This Jewish lepta was so small, the Romans didn't even recognize it as currency. In their minds, it was nothing. But that's what she gave. She put in one quarter, one fourth, and there, literally you could break this coin up into quarters. It was made that way. She put in one quarter of a brass penny. Now, here's my question. Why did Jesus get so upset? Well, because according to verse 44 here, the rich people gave from their wealth and abundance brass pennies. They had gold. They had silver. They had stocks. They had bonds. They were rich, but they're kind of tipping God. When they go by the box, they would just kind of throw in some brass pennies. But this woman comes along, this poor woman, this widow, and she gives everything she had to live on. Now, don't forget, she lives on a day-to-day -day existence. That means she's not even going to be able to eat this day unless someone reaches out to her. Because according to Jesus, she gave it all. And Jesus observes this whole scene. He observes their actions, and he is upset. By the way, do you know what this tells me when it comes to giving? God really isn't that interested in how much you give. He's really not that interested in the amount of the big check you can write out. He's interested in how much we have to give. He's interested in how much potential do we have to be generous. This is why the Bible talks about percentage giving. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago. It's so that everyone can give. It's kind of a level playing field. So understand, God measures what you give based on how much you have to give. And I don't know if that's good or bad for you, but he sees See, God sees our actions. He sees generosity. He sees greed. He sees when we do the right thing at work. He sees when we do the right thing at home with our family. He sees when we do the right thing in our marriage. He sees when we do the right thing as a parent. He sees when we do the right thing as a child. He sees it when we take time out of our lives to serve others. He sees it all. God sees people that no one else sees. He sees actions that no one else sees. And third, God sees attitudes that no one else sees. Look at verse 41. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put, and he watched the crowd put their money into the temple treasury. Let, let me tell you how this actually reads. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put, and he watched, literally it says, how the crowd put their money into the temple treasury. You know what that tells me? It tells me that God sees why we do what we do. He doesn't just see our actions. He sees our attitude. He sees our motive as to why we do what we do. He basically sees our heart. By the way, let me have you back up just a little bit to verse 38. Let me show you what happened right before Jesus told this story. It kind of gives us some context. Look at verse 38. Most of the time we never read these verses. But it says, as he taught, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. Okay, the professional religious guys. Okay, and, and, and watch how Jesus says they like to draw attention to themselves. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces. And have the most important seats in the synagogue and the places of honor at banquets. Now notice this next part. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Notice everything Jesus said had to do with these religious leaders drawing attention to themselves. Except this little phrase, they devour widows' houses. What does that mean? 
Well, if you take the time to read the Gospels, I would really encourage you over the next few weeks, five weeks as we're in this series together, just begin to read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And when you finish, read it again, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And just begin, they're the synoptic Gospels. You see different perspectives on the same stories. But, just be, but if you read the Gospels, you will discover that there were two things that just made Jesus' blood boil. You know what they were? Pride and greed. Pride and greed. So it makes sense that that's true of God. Listen to the, this verse, Ephesians 5, 5. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person. By the way, such a person is an idolater. In other words, Paul says, if you're greedy, God considers you an idol worshiper. No immoral, impure, or greedy person has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Wow. How about this one? James 4, 6. God opposes the proud. He has no time for the proud, but he shows favor. The word is grace. He gives grace to the humble. So I, I, I read those verses, and you know what it tells me? If you really want to stay on God's good side, don't be greedy and don't be prideful. But here's the problem. Jesus kept seeing these two traits over and over again in the religious leaders of his day. They wanted to be noticed. Everything they did was for a show. It's because they had a lot of pride in their lives. But not only that, they were very, very greedy. Let me show you how greedy they were. These, these religious leaders, this is what they would do. They would go to these widows who were very, very poor. And they would convince them to sign over their houses to the temple. That's why it goes back to devoured their houses. And then they would convince these widows to work at the temple for one quarter. Huh. Coincidence? I don't think so. One quarter of a penny a day. And they convinced them that this is how they could show their service and their commitment and their devotion to God. And so Jesus, as he's speaking to them, he points out, he says, listen, you are stealing from the very people that you ought to be helping. And so Jesus is angry. He's ticked off. Do you know why? Because he sees attitudes as well as actions. Let me show you one more thing about this story that maybe you don't know. This story took place the last week of Jesus' life. Now think about this. He's going to the cross on Friday. This is Tuesday. And we know it's Tuesday because if you read the Gospels, you can figure out how many days it is after the Sabbath. Just trust me, you can do the study yourself. This took place on Tuesday. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, he's going to be nailed to a cross. You know why he was nailed to the cross? He was nailed to the cross to redeem people's hearts. Do you know why he was so upset that day? Because Jesus saw their hearts. He saw their attitudes, and he didn't like what he saw. Because he knows that hearts control attitudes, and attitudes control actions. Sure, he saw the attitude and the actions of the widow and the rich people, but he also saw their hearts, and he desperately wanted not just their actions, he desperately wanted their hearts. I mean, we get that. Even as parents, you know, you, you, you say to your child, go clean your room, and they, oh, and they kind of stomp off and, and go. I mean, that's not what you want. You'll take it because you just want the room clean, right? But that's not what you want. What do you want? You want the heart. You want the attitude of the child. That's what Jesus wants. And that's why he's going to the cross on Friday. Now, here's the good news I want to leave you with from this story. If you're having problems in your life with your actions and your attitude, understand there's someone who can change your heart it's Jesus he wants to change your heart he doesn't want to change your attitude and your actions he wants to change your heart he wants to redeem your heart that word redeem it's a beautiful word in the Bible it's a word that was used in the Old Testament to describe a slave who was being 
put up on the slave the auction block to be purchased. And they would be chained and shackled. And, and literally those that were interested in buying the slave would walk around and look at that slave as an animal, maybe a farm implement. And then they would bid on the slave. But when it comes to us, here's our picture spiritually. We're on the auction block. And we're enslaved and we're chained to our sin, our past, our attitudes, our actions. And we're in a hopeless situation. But see, Jesus is in the crowd. And when we realize that we're in a hopeless situation and the only hope that we have is Jesus, this is what Jesus says, fine, I'll bid for you. I'll bid on you. In fact, I'm going to cut right to the quick. I'm going to bid the ultimate price that no one can top. I am going to pay for you with my life. And when you say, thank you, Jesus, I would be hopeless without you. He reaches into his robe and he pulls out a big old chain of keys, a key of mercy, a key of grace, a key of compassion, a key of forgiveness. And he begins to unlock those chains and those shackles and those bonds and they fall off of you. And for the very first time in your life, you are free because you have been redeemed. Not free to just go do what you want to do, but now free to serve him and follow him out of gratitude. That's why Jesus went to the cross that Friday. And if you'll let Jesus, that's what he wants to do for you. He wants to redeem you. He wants to change your heart. And when he changes your heart, this is what's cool. That will take care of your attitude. And that will take care of your actions by taking care of your heart. This is what Proverbs 23, verse 7 says. For as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So here's my question. What's in your heart? Is lust in your heart? Then you're a lustful person. Is deceit in your heart? You're a deceitful person. Is there bitterness in your heart toward other people? Then you're a bitter person. Is there anger in your heart toward other individuals? Then you're an angry person. Is there pride? Then you're a prideful person. Is there greed? Then you're a greedy person. That's who you are. Now here's the good news. Jesus came to change all of that. But I'm going to tell you something. Until your heart is changed, your life will never be changed. And your attitude will never change. And your actions will never change. And I'm going to tell you, that's why some of you are still struggling so much. You're coming to church. You're trying to do some good things. Maybe you're reading the Bible. You may be in a small group. And, and you got issues in your life, but, but you're dealing with surface issues. You're dealing with symptoms. But i got to tell you, Christianity is not a self-improvement program. It's about a heart being redeemed and some of you your attitude hasn't changed and your actions haven't changed and your life hasn't changed because your heart hasn't been changed when Jesus redeems your heart it all begins to fall into place I want us just to bow our heads as, as we wrap this up I want you to know something this is what I want you to leave thinking about when you think about God if you feel like you've been avoiding him or you're scared of him or he is out to get you, understand this. God sees you and he has cares for you and he wants to do something about your attitude. He wants to do something about your actions. He wants to do something about your life and what he wants to do is he wants to redeem it and that's why he sent his son. And I'm just going to tell you, if you've never allowed Jesus to redeem your heart, 
you're wasting your time. You're wasting your time. And God says, I see you, and I want to be so intimately involved with you that I gave my most priceless possession for you. I want you to see me that way, and I want you to realize that you can come to me, and I will change your life forever. Father, we thank you that you have a compassion for us that we cannot even begin to imagine. It's renewed every morning. It never runs out. And Father, we spend so much of our lives trying to change our actions and change our attitudes when all along, you just want us to allow you to redeem our hearts, to change our innermost being. And then Father, Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, that at that moment, you will begin a good work in us. And he who begins that work, Paul says, will be faithful to complete it. Father, I just ask this weekend for so many people who feel like they're in a hopeless situation, that nothing is changing, that their life isn't changing, their behavior isn't changing, their actions aren't changing, and they're so frustrated because they're so trying so hard. It's not for their lack of effort. Father, maybe the reason is that their heart hasn't been redeemed. And Father, I pray right now at all of our campuses with everyone praying, they would understand right now that when you sent your son to die on the cross, he came to pay the price so that each one of us could be purchased off the auction block. And so that the chains and shackles of our past and our sins and our failures, could, we could be released from and we could have that relationship with you. May they find that peace this weekend. In your name we pray, amen.